the objective is how do you take these very complex ideas or these very complex methodologies and explain them in very simplistic, very pragmatic, very relatable terms. Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology. This podcast, we unlock the secrets, the tips, tricks, and mistakes of data science leaders from around the world. My name is Felipe Flores. I am a data science executive, and at the moment, I'm working in a healthcare AI company as head of data science. My guest today is David Hardoon, extremely popular leader in this space, extremely influential. And I love that one of his taglines is that he's been doing data from before. It was cool. Um, He has such an amazing track record, incredible experience. He's taught at universities. He's worked in finance. He worked at central banks in Singapore. And at the moment, he is the senior advisor for data and artificial intelligence at the Union Bank of the Philippines. A huge, huge role. And it was so exciting to get to speak with somebody that had been, you know, in academia, in central banks, in banking and finance, and at such a high level across the board. Um, he's able, definitely able to see what's coming and be able to integrate the lessons from all his varied experience and obviously make good impact with artificial intelligence and machine learning. It was an exciting conversation. I hope you enjoyed. Here is... David Hardoon. Data Futurology's audience is continuing to grow and grow. Did you know that over 12,000 other data enthusiasts across the globe are listening to this episode as well? Well, that's over 20,000 weekly listens to hear content that is loved and shared in the data community. To see how your brand can be featured here or how else Data Futurology can connect you to your audience, visit datafuturology.com forward slash sponsors or leave an audio message via the show notes below. Connect with us so we can collaborate. We can help you grow the presence of your business and you would also be helping to continue to grow Data Futurology. Thanks. David, thanks so much for making the time. How are you doing today? Very good. Thank you for having me. I mean, uh, uh, all locked in as everyone else, but doing very good. Oh, very, very glad to hear it. Um, I love that on on your LinkedIn, you have a, in, as part of your tagline, you have uh, doing data before it was cool, working in data before it was cool. Um, I love it <laughs> when I saw that. Thank I you. Like, I, I, I get a lot of flack. I get a lot of flack on that one and on data artists. Uh, but I thought, look, I, I need to own it. Just need to own it. Uh, I I was called a geek many, many times in my life, so I'm going to own it now. I love it. And um and you can't you can't escape the the truth, right? You have been working in data from before it was cool. So I, I think very very fitting. So I did want to um start by asking you about your origin story. So how how was it that you first got interested in data? What was it that pulled you in? What are some of the early memories that you have about the field? Okay, now, now, now I'll show you how much of a geek I really am. So actually, this all happened when I was in high school, believe it or not. I, I got sent, I, I, I may have been punishment. I, I don't, can't think of another reason being at the school library. But I ended up kind of finding a book on Prolog, uh, prog- uh, 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 Logic Programming Language. And I just said, okay, nothing else to do. Started reading it. And, you know, what, what is this thing? What is this prologue stuff? And I absolutely 
fell in love. Uh, maybe that was my first love. And this whole idea of that you can, well, program logic, you know, expert systems. And, you know, one can argue whether it's data science or machine learning, but you know something, put that aside. It's this whole idea about the ability of using information, using data as mechanisms to aid us on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's kind of when I really fell in love with it. And I decided I want to go into this. I, I want to do this. I want to explore what are the possibilities and how to help basically in the end of the day. That's that is awesome. And then where where did that lead you in terms of um, in terms of studies and and early career? What uh, what did that look like from after high school? So after high school, I again geek. I had two choices in in, in my academic route. So one is artificial intelligence. Uh, however, there wasn't any degree that actually was artificial intelligence back then, uh, and uh, astrophysics. And my mother very very nicely, I should say, said, son, uh, please choose a career that uh, will allow you to do more than in academia. Not, not, don't get me wrong, I absolutely love astrophysics, love, wanted to do that. So I ended up finding a place which uh, had a combined degree of computer science and artificial intelligence. And in fact, I was the second student. This was back at Royal Holloway University of London. And again, it was, it was an absolute joy because I kind of realized very early on in the kind of being a student that, and in fact, this is very much representative of how it is in business now. Data science, machine learning, AI, whatever you want to call it, is this hybrid of different disciplines. Yes. And I did that, ended up, you know, was the uh, was dot com, not boom, bust. Uh, got the opportunity to continue doing a PhD. And I realized that, you know, you were sitting next to people who was, one was a, actually was genuinely a nuclear physicist, uh, neurologist, um, linguist, and, and you realize that it's these different dimensions, these different problems, all looking at data effectively as a means to identify uh, a, a solution effectively. So really dived into that, spent probably far too long a time in the world of academia, researching, and don't get me wrong, absolutely love it. However, I wanted to bridge the gap between theory and practice. I wanted to see it applied and making a difference. I may not have been entirely, uh, perhaps through my own fault, and entirely uh, persuaded by the whole money aspect of it, but it was about the applied aspect of it. Wow. Can this make a difference? And I truly believe it can. That that is that is fantastic. So and then when once you made the the leap into into industry, what were some of the uh, what were the first few years like for you? Uh, what what surprised you, and uh, what were you working on, and what did you learn? Yeah. Well, let me start off. Um, actually, if if you don't mind, I'll give you a bit of a a, a side story that I remember my That's very right. first interview. You know, walk in having a loving conversation and. When they asked, they said to me, oh, you have a PhD? And I said, yes. And they went, oh. And for the life of me, I couldn't understand why they reacted that way. <laughs> However, once I went into industry, and you'll see why I'm giving you this segue, I kind of realized that very, very quick, quickly, that what you may um, focus on, what you may appreciate from a theoretical point of view, from a conceptual perspective, maybe to a certain extent, uh, uh, a different 
and what's necessary on an applied development point of view. And I still remember one of my very first engagements in industry. In fact, it was in the financial sector, which I now find myself back in. Uh, I was asked to go explain uh, optimization. And I'll, if you don't mind, I'm actually happy to show you the, 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 the use case that we did. But I was asked to go explain optimization to the business. And I'm, of course, just fresh off the boats, academic. Yeah, I'll be happy to explain optimization. And let's just say it didn't go quite as I had anticipated. And that to me was my rude awakening from the academic to applied side of the house that the, 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 the objective is how do you take these very complex ideas or these very complex methodologies and explain them in very simplistic, very pragmatic, very relatable terms rather than showing the, you know, who's the smartest person in the room. Uh, so to me, it was a, a, a world-shattering kind of a revelation. But in fact, I've kind of, whether one can call it, build my career on that objective, on how to simplify things uh, and use them. Uh, if you, if I may, I can actually I would love to tell you the, the the use case that I did. Really, this to me was like my my I call it my fire bath into the world of industry was. A very real operational problem that a bank, in fact, was facing when it came to uh, cash. Now, it's something that none of us really think about on a day-to-day -day basis. And in fact, since it was first invented, I think in the 1950s, an ATM, cash dispensing machine, haven't really fundamentally changed in their function. They may look pretty, but they haven't changed. And the problem that institutions face on a regular basis is how do we make sure those machines are topped up in cash so that when you go to and take withdraw money, it actually has money in it rather than the case of, sorry, cash out, go find another machine. Mm. Now, so you're trying to deal with a customer satisfaction issue. You're trying to deal with a supply issue and identifying when are these things going to happen. And, and then the second important element is how much money to put in. So it was, if you think about it, it's, it's a very real, very operational problem mm. that is dealt with on a day-to-day -day basis. And it was a absolutely perfect case of applying the world of AI and data science because data science and AI is all about identifying patterns, uh, foretelling uh, certain outcomes. And what we kind of realized very quickly that however much people may think that people are unpredictable, we actually are. And it was possible to create these forecasting models to identify exactly how much money in the future is going to be depleted from the machine, which then allowed to build these very, uh, well, I won't say sophisticated, but robust optimization routines that were able to tell the bank in advance where to replenish and how much to replenish, and even to a certain degree say, when are the machines likely to cash out, uh, sorry, to, um, to break down as well as cash out. So it was very real. And when I was initially brought in, that was a segue, the way it was explained to the bank, the way it was explained to the end users was a very technical jargon. Oh, let me talk to you about these arena and forecasting methodologies and how we back propagate them and how we test them. And, and the guys in the business was like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah what? <laughs> I, I don't care about that. I don't care. Tell me about how is this going to make a difference? <laughs> so that was to me that awakening of like, oh, actually, you don't care about the math. But I find it I find it fascinating that from from that 
I find it fascinating and I love the fact that you from there you chose simplicity and applications as as kind of like important important uh, steps to continue through with uh, throughout your career um, and I'm sure that these two have been reinforced over over time to to continue to simplify continue to seek applications um, can I why can why I, I just, yet I just want to jump in, and, and, and maybe because I know we're going progressively in the timelines, but I want to jump actually to now, and then we can go maybe go backwards to further emphasize that important. Because don't get me wrong, we have many, many you know smart people out there with extremely innovative solutions, but it is that simplicity that matters. And, and I'll give you an example of right now. So Union Bank of the Philippines, where I am, we're using data, digitalizing, really kind of crossing boundaries, but at the same time. You have a concept which is bank on wheels. So you are digitalizing, you are making sure that you have all of these online capacities, leverage that, but at the same time, you're taking the simplistic concept of putting a bank on wheels and bring it to people who need it because it's that realization of, the, of, well, they need to have the access to the bank. They need to have an access to those services. So it's keeping uh, solutions mm. pragmatic, catering to the needs at the same time driving for that innovation and digitalization. So I just want to give you an example from how it started and an example of it is now. But man, that is that is so impressive because um, so, so many of us fall into the trap of trying to uh, solve for the world that we would like, how we would like it to be. And obviously in that case, um, People in data, because of our background, we think of digital solutions and, and give me all the data I can, I can capture. Uh, but it's so important to meet the customer need where that need exists. And, um, and, and in this case, the, the bank on wheels, that's, that's phenomenal. And being able to do both is, is even better. Um, how, how did you guys get to, get to tackling both uh, sides of the, of the coin at the same time? Well, like I mentioned, it's on the one hand, the necessity of tackling the problem of digitalization, making sure that uh, accessible effectively is anywhere at any point in time, that the bank is digital. And, and as a testify of that, of doing that capacity, I mean, we're all now experiencing COVID, is that ultimately, you know, it was business as usual, even though that uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, you know, 90% of the workforce is at home. But you can't forget the fact that while we want to achieve, and in fact, in your own terms, we want to achieve a certain outcome. We, we have a certain vision. Data is a journey, and we need to remember the term journey. And not everyone is able to go at the exact same pace on that underlying journey. So while we're driving for that agenda and we are achieving it, it how do you make sure that no one is left behind? And, and that's where the concept and the idea came of Banco Weeper saying, look, they can't have that digital connectivity for whatever reason. We go to them effectively in during that process effectively. So, and yeah. just kind of winding back, yeah. it was really kind of, and personally to me, as someone who kind of does data, it was that original kind of appreciation of the necessity of simplicity while not forgoing ambition and drive. Put aspirational goals. But at the end of the day, what is important, the criteria as a data scientist, is it has to be pragmatic because otherwise it is research, which is all good. 
I guess I came from research. I, I, I enjoy research. But when it comes to an industrial use, in the, at least in the banking world, there are really only four dimensions. It's either helping in the bank in customer service, increasing revenue, reducing costs operational, managing risk, or compliance. So really delivering that value that one stands behind. Otherwise, if we're just playing around with data, we're, we're, we may unwittingly result in a situation that we're churning water. No, because let I me mean, let's think. I'll give you an example. When I was still back in research, I would spend at times. Actually, one in particular that comes to mind. It was a project on uh, learning the relationship between brain patterns and musical patterns, both being data. Yeah. It's a multi-year journey. That sometimes you spend seven months on one comp component of that problem. Exactly, and and the and the. Um... And in that case, the researcher, you know, loves loves the the challenge, loves following their curiosity, following the the bouncing ball. And I think that that's that's why it's um it's sometimes difficult for people to to make the transition to industry and and um, rewire their approach um, as as they do that. Um, and what uh, do you have any? Any tips for people coming uh, from from research into into industry, and what are the type of um, of timelines to expect in in yeah. industry from from your perspective? Something for people coming in uh, in from research. I, I do, I do. I, again, having been one of those, I, I definitely do. And in fact, I would say that I have uh, I don't know if the word is recommendation or at least a view, uh, both to those who are coming into the world of industry from the research side, but equally to the industry that is welcoming the researchers in. Yes. It needs to start off with a, an alignment of expectation. An alignment expectation of what is the purpose? Is the purpose to do research? Mm. Then it's an understanding of, okay, from perhaps from a researcher point of view, there's a slightly less, uh, uh, one should call uh, a change because it's still research, it's still maybe blue sky exploratory nature but then from an industry perspective there needs to be the appreciation that you may not have an immediate roi if one is even quantifiable yeah. however equally at that setting of the expectation if the agenda isn't research or is light research but resulting in demonstrable you know actionable items and, and like i mentioned those as i call my four kpis of outcome it's important that is a bit of a transition period for those of resource that okay what is that it needs to be changed how does it need to change in terms of expectations effectively in terms of timelines in terms of deliverables uh, uh, I don't know if the word is the curse that a lot of times researchers fall into again like myself included is we're researchers we're trying to drive for that 99th percent the 90 percent the 98 percent we're trying to constantly drive for that better algorithm for that better accuracy However, if I flip it around and I come to you and I'm saying, I'm getting 60% accuracy uh, or 62% accuracy over the 50 to 8 that you currently have as a baseline. From a researcher mindset, you're like, well, 62, that, that's horrendous. We must do better than that. But maybe that 62, that, that four, four point delta is equivalent to $500,000, $5 million, $10 million in terms of impact to the business. So if it, it, when you translate it to dollars and cents, well, quite frankly, do we care that it's 62? 
So what does that 62 mean? So that is the connectivity back that researchers sometimes, and at times, have to change is how do we bring it back to the practicalities of what is it trying to do? Secondly, is, is, is being a bit of like, you know, I, I always forget what they're called, what horses have, what the visors on the side. Whereas in research, you're, you're encouraged to have this very, very broad perspective and to kind of bounce around. At times yeah. when you, you have to deliberately require the necessity of like, okay, I, I, I see that to be very interesting, but no, let me get this done. Let me focus on this. I will get back to that later on. Be very focused. Yes, that's that's such an such an interesting point. Um, and how do you think we're we're managing? Uh, how do you think that as an industry, how are we managing the different requirements for the different roles? Uh, so mm -hmm. I've seen that in some places there are there are new titles appearing that shows a more specialized um, approaches to to the responsibilities of each data scientist or person in the team. Um, how do you see that evolution? Do you think that we're, we're, we're giving uh, people in our teams and in our industry enough clarity around the expectations yeah. of their roles? I'm, I'm actually quite, I'm, I'm welcoming of, of this um, well, step in evolution to a certain degree on the definitions because prior to that, everyone and anyone were called data scientists. And, and I, I personally had a bit of an aversion to the term for, the, for two reasons. One kind of half, half joking, because every scientist used data, even philosophers. Uh, and the second one, a version is it's, it's just too generic. Mm -hmm. um, and what is a data scientist? And in fact, when you dive into the role of a data scientist, you in fact, actually, it's a multitude of personalities. It's a multitude of individuals. The person who's more of the business orient, who understands enough of the science, but is aligned to the business and can translate it to the, to the engineers, maybe use that term, as well as communicate the outcomes back to the business. You have another one who's the visualizer, who, who does, does a data, data storytelling. Then you have, as I mentioned earlier, the, the bona fide scientists who are really thinking about the methodologies, the algorithms, the approach. And then you have the data, data science engineers who need to build it in a, in a robust fashion that can be deployed in a business in the end of the day. So you see there's many, many, many different dimensions to it. And I believe that now this teasing out also helps in, in individual growth. What are the more specific skill sets that I need to be successful? And also back to our earlier point that we were discussing, helps in clarity. So for example, if I take now, again, not that I'm saying that they can't, but just as an oversimplistic example, if I take a data science engineer, who has the capacity from a data-centric point of view, from a, uh, a ET uh, extract transform load, all, all the good technical stuff, and you're expecting them to do the more research element. Don't get me wrong, they may excel, but it's, it's a different perspective and vice versa. I mean, well, that was one of the biggest challenges. If you look at the attrition rate of data scientists, we've got a whole bunch of researchers. However, what we truly expected from them was to be engineers. And data scientists, those researcher data scientists, no, I'm not here to, to build you an ETL code or to build you a data warehouse. Give me data, I explore, see feasibility, and then you go and implement it. So there's a lot of um, disconnect to a certain degree. There is, there is, and, and definitely, and, and I, I think that the, 
um, the fact that the industry is, is maturing, going from you know from the the big hype that we saw and and now getting a better understanding and that there is um, kind of like more specialized roles being being available. I think it's a it's a positive uh, step for the industry overall. Um, because as I completely agree with you that the fact that a scientist is, is so broad, uh, that's why there's so many people trying. And for for years, I found people were trying to demystify it and asking, you know, what is it that a scientist? What do they do? And and it's because there's so much that that is covered by that term. So it's really a team a team sport. It is. It, it's a team not sport, a, not an individual effort. And it, 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 so, sorry, it, it, it's a team sport, and it's also a, a, a should I say, it's a team sport internally, and it's a team mm. sport externally. And mm. it is just like a business, you need to be attuned to your, your customer's need, and what is it that they're trying to achieve? As, again, and let's use that broad term, data scientist, you need to be attuned to what your business needs and how how best to help uh, bring everyone on that journey forwards in fulfillment and equally and and while I am I, I would say quite biased to the adoption and the use of data I'm I'm a true believer that these techniques can extremely help uh, in the uh, achieving the visions that one kind of puts in forward we need to also equally realize where data isn't relevant I mean we have many cases whereby Good old judgment is perfectly well. Uh, decision rules. A, a, the, a process is what's required. So it's yes. a, it's think of. I like to think maybe it's because I used to love Lego as a kid. Think of data science as a Lego, and it's identifying amongst all the pieces that are out there how to build it. But most importantly, there needs to be that concept of what is it that we're trying to build. And and having having that uh, the clarity of the outcome that that is being pursued and how that the outputs are going to be used is is um, so important because it just drives all of the all of the work and I definitely see that that's um, that that's one of your focuses. Um, so I wanted to ask you as well how how in your approach actually before we go into the simplicity i wanted to finish your your story your journey um sure, so sure. i like the fact that we're that, that you're um, going full circle from from finance to back to finance uh but what um tell us a little bit about what happened in between sure okay. so um I was, I was kind of i don't know if i mentioned this but i kind of did a round tour so i i i, I touched the world of data through software through consultancy, uh, through services, through being in-house. And I, I, it's kind of interesting. I mean, on one hand, people say, oh, David, you can't make up your mind what you want to do. But in fact, to me, it was the exact contrary. It was, I want to have the understanding and the appreciation of those different dimensions, such that, that at the very least, it's easier, I don't know if that's the right word, easier to help bring them together. Because a lot of times what you find uh, prevents the true fulfillment or the true, true adoption of data is that as simple as loss in communication, different dimensions of those different aspects, the, even because consultancy doesn't necessarily have to be external, it could be internal as well, software development, business, 
we may be all speaking the same language, but sorry, we may be all speaking about the same thing, but we're using different terms and different languages. So it's by having the kind of uh, uh, roundabout to a certain, uh, certain extent, the 360 view of data that has yeah. personally helped me in my journey have that kind of view and appreciation effectively. So, so, so it's literally that. And, and the, the, the example of finance was happened to be when I was actually I was still in the software world, but kind of was, uh, providing solutions to uh, uh, a, a financial institution back then. And this was quite a while ago, but kind of move from there to more services, move from there towards, as I mentioned, consultancy, moved in-house, and now very much being within a financial institution, Union Bank, in kind of bringing it together and supporting the agenda of mm. well, making banking accessible. I think that's that's in the end of the day. And and to me, it's I mean nowadays we have a bit of a a, a finesse of sticking the word AI on anything. To me, it's actually yeah. not something. It keep it keep it in the engine, keep it underneath the hood. Because if, for example, you're able to to provide accessibility to withdrawal of cash, so we're just talking about ATMs. So if you're able to provide accessibility to the people who need it, but rather than physically having to go to a machine through a mobile app, which by the way is exactly what we're doing, there may be sophisticated machine learning algorithms within it, mm. but it is the application that's important. It is how it's surfaced in fulfilling that need effectively. Now, don't get me wrong, this is where things become more exciting and allows for opening that door of seeing what would be that next service? What would be that next possibility? And that's where data plays a very um, important role because ultimately data tells us about behavior and it tells us some of those wants when people don't come and explicitly say, I want that. Exactly. It's, it's uh, instead of what people say, it's, it's exposing what they actually do. And, and as you said, like what, what they want, um, key key point there and i love i love the fact that you were choosing to explore multiple areas uh in uh, in the vast data world and obviously growing world um that you chose to look at different areas to get all those different perspectives um at at what point was that um at what point did that become deliberate, a deliberate uh, choice in how you were choosing and designing your journey? Uh, did it start deliberate? Did it become deliberate at one point? Uh, was there a, a moment uh, that that you realized that the benefits of what you were doing or did you choose it ahead of time? Oh, a very existential question. I would love to say that this was all designed and all strategized and all planned. However, I, I need to be honest, and it was a combination of coincidence, luck, fortune. But I, what I believe, and, and actually, again, <laughs> I'm, I'm a data guy. Let me be geeky about data. Is about identifying patterns. And that's what I did to myself. I identified patterns. I identified the trajectory in which I ended up. I realized the merit within it. And I said, this is actually what I want. Because one of the biggest questions that a lot of data, data, data scientists people get, I get it many times, is, David, what do you want to do? What do you want to focus on? What is the area that you want to do? And I personally find that an exceptionally difficult question to answer yeah. because the industry is almost 
uh, by the way. The application is almost, by the way, don't get me wrong, it is extremely important, but it's almost by the way, because the virtue of data is that it can be applicable and it can transcend any single industry. It can transcend any specific application if you're focusing on identifying patterns, identifying possibilities. Mm. So by taking that kind of capitalizing on that very quickly realizes that i wanted to have these different dimensions i wanted to learn as much as possible but of course you know you have to be again pragmatic at some point and decided to delve in and and, and to the welcoming arms of unibank to apply it and really be part of that journey because again and i, I don't speak with any ill is there is a lot of hype around data. There's a lot of hype around AI. Mm -hmm. And it is important, and, and, and okay, let me first start by saying nothing wrong with having a bit of hype. I mean, we all like to get excited, but it is important to be able to be in a position or at the very least have an attempt to explore it and say, look, these are genuine opportunities. We may not succeed as well as we wanted to, and that's part also of the journey of data, but taking kind of very strategic and very deliberate uh, uh, paths in materializing it. So finance happens to be, to me, and again, maybe it's because of a few years that I spent uh, uh, in a central bank. I came to the realization that no matter what industry you deal with, there is a commonality. Finance. Uh, I, I know this sounds kind of borderline theological or whatnot. Finance is the gel yes. among anything, whether it's, uh, 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 what is it, uh, uh, seashells for trading or uh, fiat currency or digital currency, it, it's still the financial mechanism that brings us all together. So it is how do we help people in provisioning those services that they want and going beyond that effectively and maybe being a bit aspirational, improving people's lives. I could not, I could not agree more. Um, the time that uh, I spent about five years in, in finance and what I always, um, well, what, I, what I realize and what I would say to the team is that the uh, finance is is the an abstraction of how the world works. When we were we were in the B two B side, and essentially when we were processing uh, financial statements, we could look across any industry, across multiple countries, any economy, any products, and they all sort of came back to a common language in which we could we could analyze. And I always found that so. Uh, so interesting, and um, I wanted to I wanted to ask you with your work at the at the bank, what uh, what type mm. of things are you are you currently excited about or have been um, have been working on uh, things that you can share? Sure. So so one of the things that are definitely exciting me and I think exciting many of us is the whole aspect of digital banking, which Union Bank has been actually in fact one of the force driving in that, and. I, a certain extent, and a bit of an irony, but the recent events with COVID that's kind of forced us all at home had on the one hand evidenced that necessity of provisioning the whole digital banking. And in, just, just to share, you know, there's been a tenfold increase in digital customers, digital banking customers since uh, the, the Union Bank online offering has actually put in place. And, and since uh, uh, Philippines put in place what is called ECQ, uh, enhanced uh, uh, container quarantine. I can't remember the exact terms. So since that has been put in place, equal into what Australia has done, there's been a 400% increase on those digital customers. Wow. So 
what really excites me is not only the fact that this wow. journey had started before there was a pressing need for it. And I think that is a very important point, that we want to be able to put these foundational capabilities before, the, you know, there's a, there's a dire necessity for it. We want to, we want to, we want to identify these trends. We want to drive these values, these services, as early as possible, and creating them. And and this only proves that approach. So that's one. And then, of course, that creates the opportunities of 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 how do we make sure we engage with our consumers, both online as well as offline. Mm. And it's understanding people because the goal is providing service. It is being able to make the whole process of financial services banking a pleasant and enjoyable experience. And it is and it can be. So this is definitely something that is you know, wonderfully exciting me. Beyond that, and that's part of the journey, is how do we bring the vast majority of those who are outside the banking system to the financial and banking system? How do we make sure that we are able to cater them and provide them that safety and assurity that ultimately the financial system and banking provides? I really like the um, the customer perspective that you take uh, in your work. It comes it comes through uh, so strongly that you that you really care about the the individual that's uh, receiving the services and and not um, that even though you're a passionate data guy, you're not only focused on the data. Um, that it, how um, can you um, was there a period in your life in your professional life where that that uh, developed or or do you feel that it was something that was with you um, all along no I, I it, it has developed it definitely has developed I, I would say it, it had developed over the, the years and again coming from the academic aspect but it was all driven with the the question of so what and obviously in research it is slightly more light touch because at the end of the day the uh, ultimate pursuit of research is to adding to the intellectual equity of us as people so it may not be as somewhat immediately but it may be something that can add for so what later on yes however as you can imagine in the world of history the so what is a slightly more cutthroat of why should I care about this? And, and that only further helped refine the necessity of this is valuable stuff and this is the so what. And how to at times reframe the picture to making sure there is a strong narrative and a strong angle. And quite frankly, in, at the end of the day, anything and everything we do is around a customer. And and I use the and again I'm using the term customer slightly loosely because a customer can be an employee, it can be a citizen, it can be an individual, as a in, you know retail customer, it can be a corporate. But at the end of the day, it's about a customer. And I think this is also before the data renaissance to a certain extent. It's also this kind of uh, experience that the financial sector as a whole has gone over the last two decades that it, we're moving away from mm. product, 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 and I'm pitching your product to, yeah. well, what is it that you need? Because quite frankly, 
the intention is to be parts of your life. Now, and let me give you a very realistic example of that. When you come to a bank and say, David, I need a loan. And I go like, okay, here's the kind of loan I can give you. This is the interest. But I need to stop and say, hold on a second, but why is it you need a loan? Are you starting a new business? Are you getting married? Are you having a kids? Are you buying a second home? Is it in? And it is that essence, that why, that I think is what should drive data. And in fact, if, if I use that as a bit of a segue, I became a, a huge, um, uh, both uh, supporter as, as well as just passionate on the whole aspect of behavioral science. So to add that as the, 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 the breaking data science into smaller components, data science and behavioral science, which is meant to give us that better visibility as to why is this happening? Why is this important? And then the full, you know, multi-ton beast of data science can come and support by saying, I can build you the mechanisms, I can build you the rails, I can build you the capabilities, but it can be embedded into a, a reason. So it definitely had evolved with time. So, so interesting. Um, and how, how does it, how does it compare um, being, um, how does it compare being inside a financial institution like you are now versus the uh, being in a central bank? Mm. It, oh, good question. The way it differs is I think it actually doesn't. And I'll explain what I mean it doesn't. And I'm very sure many of my colleagues out there in the financial world will kind of like take a little step back and say, well, David, are you sure? Well, the reason I say it doesn't is because if anything, the time I spent in, with the regulator and central bank, because in fact they're both, was a more acute and refined appreciation for governance and a realized, truly deep realization that governance isn't a hindrance for innovation, isn't. And I, I, I truly can't emphasize how much I believe in that statement. In fact, I believe yeah. that governance is a, a instigator for innovation. And this is in fact wow. truly what's also reflected by what we're doing in the bank, in Union Bank right now. It's, we're exploring on how to bring hand in hand. So in this whole world of data science and AI, whereby we're still trying to explore and understand where and when does these components come in? So we're not just going down the path of adopting data, we're concurrently going in the path of understanding the governance that is necessary within it because we wanna provide that trust, the equity of trust to consumers, as well as the equity of trust internally. We are part of the consortium that was uh, started uh, last year, uh, in November uh, in Singapore. Uh, actually, it's an international consortium called Veritas, which is really about focusing, identifying how to use AI in a, well, in, in a proper manner, in a governed manner. And equally, we have internal initiatives to do exactly that. So that's why I said, actually, there isn't much difference. The, 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 the only perhaps additional difference is obviously I'm slightly closer to the, to the end consumers, the, the retailers, the corporates that we provide service to and we want to make sure uh, uh, attaining the value of the digitalization journey that we're taking because we're not just taking it alone, we're taking it with them. That's right. So interesting. And so so do you see do you see that the do you see governance as as um maybe as constraints that can fuel innovation or or um <clears throat> 
Hmm. Or yeah, how, how do you see the the governance side um, being able to help innovation um, more and, and help create it? Um, yeah, what what's your perspective there? Sorry. Governance, in 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 my view, in my personal view, is a a mechanism to allow us to identify what we should and shouldn't do. Mm. Some of that comes from obviously central banks and regulators, which are stipulated, having a larger economy, uh, both from a systemic point of view uh, in mind. Some of it is driven internally, uh, a, a, a charter that one subscribes to. But in the end of the day, it is that. I mean, there are many, many things that we can do. At times, we need to challenge ourselves in the question of should we be doing it? So ultimately, that is the purpose of governance. Governance is there to ask us that question. And that is exactly why I said that to me, governance doesn't inhibit innovation. It drives it. Because ultimately, by having that framework, that approach, the embedding of governance, what it means is that we're innovating as much as possible. However, we are innovating safely, such mm -hmm. that we know what will happen. And perhaps it's as simple as that we're not quite ready for this yet. We need a bit more time to... We see it, we're valued it. No, we don't, we don't, we don't believe in it. We, we just don't stand behind this. That definitely adds a, a level of, of, um, of security that is, that is uh, very necessary uh, in order to, to create the types of innovations that are required and, and that are needed in, in the world. Um, I, yeah, I, I really like that perspective, actually. That's really nice. And um, when when it comes, so what what are your your views in um, on AI, governing AI? And are there are there any um, initiatives that you are um, looking at or or a part of or anything like that? And what what is what is your perspective in general about? Yeah. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of talk on governing AI. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, at, at, at at the risk of going into that uh, uh, depth of uh, uh, the AI governance debate. Oh, is it still recording? Yes. Philippe, can you hear me? Okay, my screen has fro frozen. Okay. Uh, as I was saying, at, at the risk of uh, and deliberately avoiding that, that absolute depth, because obviously the whole topic of AI governance is an immense one. Uh, my view towards AI governance is, again, we need to align it to how and where it is being used. And what I mean is, because at the end of the day, AI is a tool, it's an engine. It isn't a construct on its own right. So for example, AI is an engine within a loans uh, facility. So therefore, the governance isn't per se on the AI. The governance is with respect to how we distribute loans, which yeah. we have already governance with respect to. However, nonetheless, it is absolutely important that from a governance point of view, the way we build the models, the way we validate them, those things are in place. And those things are absolutely already in place. Hmm. Together with that, I was mentioning, we are, as part of the membership of a consortium, uh, we are in continuous debates, uh, discussion, excuse me, with the uh, research community, with other counterparts, in making sure that we're constantly at the absolute tip of the spear in terms of taking those considerations of the potential implications of AI. And I think this is where it is also important to take a realistic 
uh, an open-minded approach towards AI, and, and we've seen the many cases out there. Again, we need to be just very pragmatic about it. We want, we are, we're doing it, and concurrently, we have approaches that I'm looking forward to sharing more in the future of how we're making sure there are safeguards in place to, at the very least, when AI is misbehaving, that we are aware of that. And then at least it's a human judgment with respect to all other mitigating controls and governance in terms of controlling that. And this is true for anything, whether it is the more you know, slightly dry topic, although personally I find it extremely exciting, of data governance, to process governance, to those certain applications. So to repeat, absolutely exploring the path of AI governance, but again, within context, I don't think we should be doing things for the sake of doing it. It needs to have tangible, demonstrable outcomes associated with it. And how is it going to be used? With that, making sure that there's a, a, a holistic and robust governance mechanism when these models are built, tested, validated. And concurrently, we are exploring continuous means of making sure there is those safeguards, those rails in place to let us know when AI may be slightly misbehaving effectively. Because like I said, in the end of the day, we need to trust it and you need to trust us that we are trying our utmost best in making sure those things are in place. I love it. I love it. That is a really, um, really pragmatic approach and also really comprehensive. Uh, really, really great. Um, I wanted to ask you from from a personal perspective, mm -hmm. with all the different initiatives that you're um, working on, both both um, in your role at Union Bank, but also with with the um, boards that you're involved in with universities and and all all the extra work how do you balance it all how, oh not maybe not balance is the right word but how do you how do you um uh, get so much done how do you how do you uh, uh work across so many different things oh i i think if anything it shows my uh my obsession on on data uh and, and borderline workaholism but no jokes aside at the end of the day, what I've kind of realized is, and I, I don't profess to be an expert in all, all those areas. I mean, there are some which I have a bit more of experience in, but definitely not an expert in all those areas. However, there is a commonality. The methodologies, the best practices, the, 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 the non-best practices, the failures that have occurred, learning from those, the considerations, are largely the same, if I'm truly, truly honest, they are largely the same. Naturally, how they may be applied in a specific context is, may differ. And this is exactly where I like to see myself interacting with these various bodies, is providing that view and, and triggering that conversation whereby it becomes an intersect between the world of data, the world of data science, machine learning, and that specific world of, uh, uh, of the domain. Secondly, uh, I, I, I personally value it, and in fact, I don't know if it's a recommendation for others, but it is the merit is the ability of understanding and appreciating how data science is applied in a specific context and borrowing that into another. Because the methodologies are largely the same, mm. it may be triggered because of a specific problem in the world of whatever. 
And then he can go, well, hold a second. That, that, is, that is awesome. That is really, really awesome. Well, this particular domain, this particular area, loans, mortgages, credit cards, pension, whatnot, didn't have that same necessity as that one. I can apply it. And I can also get that kind of value that we didn't even realize could be achieved. Let's do that. So to me, it's that cross-fertilization that becomes exceptionally exciting. Data science, if, 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 if there is the biggest shift between the traditional world of data and the new world of data science is that mantra of moving away from silos to enterprise. And, and I'm sure you've heard this many times in many cases. In fact, this is usually the main concern that uh, uh, technologists, data scientists, even business people will kind of bring up and say, oh, we, we, we're stuck with silos. But that's exactly why we need to shift away from it, because it is that virtue of transcending areas, transcending domains, combining them, combining the data from different aspects to get a more comprehensive view are exciting. Nonetheless, I want to just emphasize this because at times when I get extremely excited about data, people, and I was kind of half expecting you to throw it in as well. But what about privacy? Absolutely. Privacy is a hygiene. And I want to make it clear that it is absolutely possible to achieve these possibilities while attaining privacy. You do not need to sacrifice it to be able to understand, identify patterns, predict, or analyze them. That is phenomenal. Um, David, that is a fantastic note to end on. I want to really thank, thank you. you so much for your, for your time. You are um, you're such an accomplished leader and you're also um, so so humble and so so willing to uh, share how you approach the world. It's uh, it's really been an absolute blast to um, get to have a Thank you for, for giving me an outlet for sharing my, my joy, little joy of data. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes if you like this episode it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast i hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you thanks again and see you next time